It's podcasting time! My name is Jonathan Isaacson, and this is the Just Another Jerk Dispatches from Japan podcast. Yeah, the podcast has a subtitle now. It's my podcast and I'll do what I want, darn it. You're not the boss of me. But if you enjoy this podcast, help me out by sharing it with a friend, rate, review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to it. Probably Apple Podcasts, but it is available on platforms like Stitcher, the Google Podcast app, and others. If it's not on your favorite app, uh, podcast app, let me know and I'll try to get it on there. So today it's time for another installment of everything you never wanted to know about Japanese history. This is a much shorter one, and it's one that's even less known than the U-Body story. U-Body is a well-known place, certainly within Japan. It was one of the biggest coal mining towns once upon a time. Now it's got its famously expensive cantaloupes and the terrifying melon bear mascot. So today's story is also about a mine. Well, two mines, really. But this time it's not coal. It's precious metals, gold and silver mines, and super, super obscure ones. Like the vast majority of people will never have heard of this place kind of obscure. I'm talking about the Eniwa gold mine, and to a lesser extent, I'll talk about the Koryu gold mine. Now, Eniwa is an incredibly nondescript town just outside of Sapporo, up in Hokkaido. And it, it's one of the places I have lived in Japan. Eniwa gold mine is in the city of Eniwa proper, but it's way, way up in the mountains. In Japan, there is no area that's not part of a city. The most remote mountains fall under the jurisdiction of some city government. So it's rather different than the way things work in the U.S. And that means that places like the Eniwa gold mine, way out in the middle of nowhere, are technically part of a city. Okay, miniature Japanese civics lesson slash digression over. So Eniwa gold mine is way up in the mountains, a bit south of Sapporo, um, sort of along the Isari River. If you look at a map of the Sapporo area, find Sapporo and look south and find Lake Shkots, in Japanese called Shkotsuko. Um, and there's a road that connects southern Sapporo and Lake Shkots. And it's called, uh, it's a national highway, uh, Route 453. Eniwa Gold Mine is a few kilometers off the highway, up a mountain road. Dirt road in the mountains. Today, not a lot is left of the mine. Uh, until a decade or so ago, parts of the smelting and refining uh, place uh, structures were still standing. But when I went to find the mine probably six or seven years ago now, I couldn't find the smelter and refinery. Uh, but I've seen pictures, and I know where it was supposed to be, but at this point, it mostly looks just like a normal Japanese mountain, which is to say, just very green, filled with trees. If you know where to look, you can still find a couple of tunnels. 
One, I think, looks like it probably was a ventilation shaft. And the other is definitely the entrance to the mine. And it's kind of terrifying. It's less than a meter wide and probably less than two meters tall. Um, And there's a couple of old rusted iron bars across the width. And if you really wanted to go in, you probably could still do so. I did not. Oh, no. No, 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 no. God, no. But, yeah, you can still find the entrance to the mine. And while the size of the mine is not known, really, um, there are records that seem to indicate that it goes at least 120 meters down. A report exists that notes that at a depth of 120 meters, uh, there's a lot of water enough to inundate the mine shaft. So yeah, it's it, it goes down a fair ways at least. That's the only record though of the size. There's nothing I can find about how big it actually was. Um, you can also see, if you know where to look, the crematorium, which is much closer to the modern highway, which is where I presume the, route, the route, the road has always kind of run. And yeah, that's right. There was a crematorium at the mine. Now, why would a mine this far out in the mountains and woods need a crematorium? Well, to answer that, it's time to jump into the Wayback Machine. And this time we're going to go back to the 1930s. Now, the first record of anything in the location is 1930. The details are pretty scant, but someone found gold and or silver in this location in 1930. In 1932, the next record, the prospecting rights were registered by Mr. Minakawa Aijiro. And in 1936, 20 tons, uh, sorry, not 20 tons, 20, we'll get to the tons later, 20 kilos of gold were extracted from the mine. And by 1939, a refinery capable of processing 2,000 tons per month was completed. I presume that's just what's being pulled out of the ground, not pure gold, but the rocks and things with the gold and silver in them. It could process 2,000 tons per month. So that refinery was completed in 1939, uh, signaling the start of full-scale mining operations. Just a bit down mountain, closer to the road connecting Sapporo and Lake Shkots, uh, company housing was built. And by the end of 1939, there were 322 people living at this incredibly remote Iniwa gold mine. And it's remote by 2020 standards, with a proper highway passing through the mountains, not too far from where the village, little, little village would have been. And by 1930, late 1930 standards, I can't even imagine how remote it was. Um, by 1940, the number of people in the village, because it really was a village at this point, was 548. There were enough people to warrant a small school. There were remote schools all around Japan at this point in history, so it's not really that strange, but still, yeah. I really can't stress how remote this area must have been in the late 30s and early 40s. Now, of course, 1939, 1940, Japan is already at war. 
this is the Second Sino-Japanese War, which, be, which was between Japan and China, and it began in 1937. That war would later on uh, merge with World War II in 1941, um, became the Asian theater, the East Asian theater of the war. So 1939, 1940, Japan's at war. Japan needed both raw materials and soldiers. At this time, with many young Japanese men, the same people who would normally be your biggest pool of potential miners, a lot of these people were off at war. So there were many Korean workers at the Eniwa gold mine. And a lot of other mines, in fact, around Japan had people who were Korean, ethnically Korean. Probably the majority of these Korean workers were born in Japan. And this is a topic that's way, way, way outside of the scope of today's story. But there are still a lot of ethnically Korean people who are born in Japan, but are still considered very much to be Korean, not Japanese, to this day. That's the case. And there was a lot, I'm sure, more racism and other things involved with that in the 1930s, 1940s. So it would not have been an easy thing to be an ethnic, ethnically Korean person, even if you'd only ever lived in Japan. Um, so yeah, there were lots of Korean, say Korean, those are, that's in quotes, uh, scare quotes. There are a lot of Korean workers at the Eniwa mine. On their own volition, well, that's questionable. Um, maybe some of them were. I'm going to guess not all of them. Um, but regardless, due to the remote, like the remote nature of the mine, the workers were bored. I mean, it's no surprise, and it's so far away from everything. It's there's nothing to do, and if you really didn't have a choice to be there, and if that is in fact the case for some of these workers, that would be pretty awful. But it didn't last very long. So as the Second Sino-Japanese War merged with World War II, uh, the Allied powers, of course, embargoed Japan, and the Japanese government issued an order that basically forced all the gold and silver mines to close. And the resources from those mines was to be redirected to mining that would be more directly useful to the military. So things like copper for uh, bullet casings, iron, coal, things to make gunpowder. So the mining shifted from precious metals. All the resources got shifted to more immediately useful things for the army. Certainly gold and silver, useful for, as you know something to trade, but... They needed things like copper, iron, coal. So, yeah, 1930, uh, 1943, just four years after beginning full-scale operations, the Eniwa gold mine closed. And it just left a few odds and ends remaining in the woods of Eniwa. The crematorium was used. Uh, a total of four people died in the village in during those four years of operation. So that's Eniwa gold mine. I also said I would talk about another gold mine, the Koryu gold mine. This mine is about four kilometers, as the crow flies, from the Eniwa gold mine near the Narumanai River, which is a small tributary of the Isari River, which was kind of where the Eniwa gold mine was. Neither of the mines are on the rivers. They're just kind of close to the rivers. Um, and 
like I say, the Kodiu mine, it's four kilometers as the crow flies, but to actually travel between the two mines, you've got to come back down mountain, down the main highway, and then back up another, um, in Japanese, bindo, uh, kind of a, a mountain road, a dirt road up in the mountains. So it's not a direct route. It's that four kilometers is, you can't do it in four kilometers. It's more like 10 kilometers to travel between the two mines. So, uh, yeah, the Kodiu mine, precious metals were discovered much earlier than at the Eniwa mine. At uh, the Kodiu mine, it was 1899 that they were first discovered. But it wasn't until 1935 when full-scale operations began. And it was apparently a much more productive mine than Eniwa. But it had a smaller community built up around it. In 1939, there were just 41 people at the Kodiu mine, and that number increased a little more than doubled the next year to 83. And then by 1941, it had reached triple digits with 102 people in the little community around the mine. Seemingly, this was big enough, and there were enough children that by uh, 1942, a school was built. It was technically part of the Eniwa Mines School, um, a branch school, as they call them in, in Japan. So they would have had the same, like the same uh, principal for the schools would have been the same person, but there would have been a separate classroom, essentially, at the Kodiu Mine. But just like the Eniwa Gold Mine, in 1943, the Kodiu Gold Mine was ordered shut to focus mining efforts on materials for the war effort. However, Unlike the Eniwa mine, which never reopened, the Koryu mine opened five years later in 1948 on a small scale, with just 24 workers total, presumably including miners, people to man the refinery, and the office workers. And amazingly, the Koryu mine continued to operate until 2006. So when I came to Japan, the Koryu mine was still open for business on, I'm sure, a very small scale, but it was open for business and digging until 2006. As such, the remains of the mine are much more modern than those of the Eniwa mine. The Eniwa mine, the, the crematorium's pretty obvious where, because of its location. It's in a field of uh, bamboo shoots, so it's all green, except you have this little brick building, part of a brick building. But the mine itself, the Eniwa mine, you have to know where to look. It blends in because it just looks like the rock and the dirt. The Kodu mine is very different. It's very obvious that this was a mine because it was used until 2006. And yes, I have been to the Kodu mine as well as the Eniwa mine. Uh, when I found the location, I knew more or less where it was. But when I went, went to the mine, the Kodu mine, six or seven years ago, the office was still standing with computers, lockers, and the like still in their places. The schedule for the final day of operations was still written on the blackboard. Helmets were left on hooks. Had I been able to visit a few years earlier, so probably it would only been a couple years after the end of operations, I probably would have been able to see the mine cart and the entrance to the mine shaft still. I mean, I've seen it in pictures, so... It was gated off, obviously, but yeah, the tracks leading into the mountain were visible. But by the time I, I saw it, 
the covering, the awning that kind of was over the tracks had collapsed. So you couldn't see the entrance to the mine anymore. But there was definitely small rails for the mine carts, still clearly visible. I also found a small railroad spike on the ground. And it was really interesting to see how much smaller it was than a normal railroad spike, probably less than half the size, because obviously a minecart, even a motorized one, much, much smaller and much slower than a standard train. So yeah, um, it closed, I say, in 2006. It was one of Japan's last operating gold mines. I think there's still one gold mine in operation in the entire country, but I think that's it. And that's the story of the Eniwa and Koryu gold mines. Nothing nearly as exciting or memorable as the story of Yubari, but just one of those little bits of Japanese history that you never wanted to know. But now you do. Please remember to subscribe, rate, review, share, force a friend to listen to it. Whatever you need to do, get the word out there. Subscribe. Make your friends subscribe to the podcast. Help the podcast out. You can find the Twitter for this podcast at Just Another Cast. You can email questions, comments, suggestions, tell me why I'm a jerk. Send those in an email to justanotherjerkpodcast at gmail.com. One more time, justanotherjerkpodcast, all one word, at gmail.com. So on that note, I'm out. Peace.